Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to his holy name forever. Well, hasn't it been awesome? Lovely meetings, awesome times in God's presence. And just to uh, just see the, the build-up of the sessions, everything culminating in the graduation this evening. And we're going to have such a great time, a great time in God's presence this evening. Amen. Let's um, bow down our heads and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you because you're our father. You're a good father. You're a gracious father, a loving father. Thank you because we are gathered together this morning about your name. Once again, to hear your word and to be touched by your spirit. Thank you because the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. We approach your word reverently and humbly. Thank you most of all for the great plan of redemption which you planned. And sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to consummate. Thank you for your word that brings us a revelation of that plan. Thank you for the great and mighty one, the Holy Spirit, whom you've sent to be our teacher and to be our guide. I make bold to say that he will live big in me. He will rise big in me. He will think through my mind. He'll speak through my lips. He will act through my deeds. He will unveil, unfold, and reveal the word of God through these lips of clay. Thank you because we are impacted. We are added onto by your spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. Let's turn our Bibles. Same text that took yesterday. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we'll read two verses there. Verses 5 and 4. In that order. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 5 and 4. Verse 5 says that your faith shall not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And then verse 4, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Amen. Now, um, theme of this meeting is the move of the spirit. We've, um, this is Rema Bible Training Center. And what we do is we train men and women for the ministry. Uh, Folks who will be graduating today who've completed two levels, level one, level two, two years in some cases, sometimes a little more than that because it's modular of training. Now, um, in the class sessions, typically we have emphasized Bible teaching. Now, like I said yesterday, and it won't hurt to say it again, Rhema is founded on two principles, to train people in the word of God and secondly, to train people in the Holy Ghost. In our class sessions, we've emphasized the Bible, getting our students to understand the infallibility of the scriptures, the uh, sovereignty of God's word, the integrity of that word, how God has magnified his word above his name, how to rightly divide and correctly apply that word. They've heard um, uh, teaching, training, instruction on the spiritual truths of the Bible, as well as practical skills that will enable them to be successful, whether they are called to spiritual leadership, to supportive leadership, or to societal leadership. Praise God. So um, in these meetings, uh, the essence really is to emphasize that other part about the Holy Ghost. You know, there's some things we can't do in a classroom setting. Amen. There's a curriculum we have to follow. But you see, there are those, these special meetings just like this camp meeting in 
uh, Tulsa uh, Mother School, Rima USA, annually. And then there is also Winner Bible Seminar. Those two major meetings every year. There are some other ones. So this is like our own camp meeting. This is like our own Winner Bible Seminar. And the theme, like we said, is the move of the Spirit. So we're endeavoring to emphasize that part. Made a statement yesterday. It won't hurt to say it again. Now, some people might not have been here yesterday night who are here today. And then even if you heard it yesterday, faith doesn't come by having heard. It comes by hearing and hearing. Well, May of 1950, Brother Hagin had an audible voice from heaven say to him, I want you to go teach my people faith. I've taught you faith through my word. I've permitted you to go through certain experiences. You've learned faith both through my word and by experience. I want you to go teach my people what I've taught you. I want you to go teach my people faith. Now, he knew yeah, you know, had it in his heart, Lord, how am I going to get this thing out to so many people? I'm just one man. And then the Lord told him about the training center, about starting a training center. And Rayma, USA started, Bible training center, started in 1974. Praise God. And um, Brother Hagin began to emphasize that subject of faith. And he began to teach that. The first camp meeting was in 73. January of 1973, the Lord said to him, in the fall of this year, I wanted to have a faith seminar and an indoor camp meeting. Said to him in the morning sessions, I wanted to teach the subject of faith. The evening meetings are to be camp meeting style. Amen. Emphasizing the move of the spirit. So camp meeting to a large extent was uh, one of the essences of it was to teach the body of Christ about the Holy Ghost. Then in the early 80s, the Lord began to deal with Brother Hagin about emphasizing that other side of things, about the move of the Spirit. We know that Christianity really is two things. First, the Word, and second, the Holy Ghost. Like something uh, Pat Harrison said, she said, just the Word and you just might dry up. Just the Spirit and you could blow up. But with the Word and the Spirit, you will grow up. Amen. So it takes both of them. We need to be regulated by the Word, but motivated by the Spirit of God. If you try to approach the Bible without the help of the Holy Ghost, what you're going to get a hold of is just intellectualism. It's just going to be mental, a mental exercise. Like Smith Wigglesworth said, he said, libraries make swollen heads. The Word of God makes enlarged hearts. Obviously, that's the Word of God taught by the Holy Ghost. And even in preaching that Word, it's the Holy Ghost who is the enabler, who anoints us to preach, anoints us to teach. He's also the one who confirms that Word with signs. With wonders, amen, in manifestations of the Spirit, praise God. So you see, the Lord began to deal with him in the early 80s about teaching on the Holy Ghost. Well, in 1987, the Lord said to him specifically, he said, uh, there's a move of the Spirit that will be lost to this generation except they are led into it. That the modern day charismatics, they know a little bit about praising me, but next to nothing about worship, I want you to teach about the Holy Ghost. Then the Lord said, there are other people in the body of Christ who will help get the job done on the faith teaching, such as, now, uh, Charles Capps. Now, there was a certain fellow he had taught will, will be the one the Lord will have named, but the man is a pastor. Now, a pastor is not a specialist. He's a general practitioner. Now, if you're a pastor, you ought to teach everything because, you see, uh, even the specialist, he doesn't feed on his specialty alone. The Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the local church is a place where people are to be taught everything. All the counsel of God's word. Because God wants us to be balanced. He wants us to be all around. But you see, sometimes there are people God calls as specialists. And he wants them to emphasize certain truths. 
and certain things. Amen. So the Lord said to him, he wants him to begin to emphasize on the Holy Ghost. 1991, he had a meeting in Regiscabro's church, Lakeland, Florida. There was an awesome move of God's spirit one of those nights. And then he spoke out of his spirit and he said, we're going to begin to have Holy Ghost meetings from now on. Well, he didn't get to it until a couple of years after. But then they started to have those Holy Ghost meetings. He asked the Lord, what's the Holy Ghost meeting? What do you want me to do in those meetings? And then the Lord told him three things. In a Holy Ghost meeting, number one, the word of God is preached and not taught. Amen. We have to always put the word first. Number two, in a Holy Ghost meeting, the Spirit of God is leading, he's guiding, he's in demonstration and in manifestation. Amen. And then the Lord said, number three, in a Holy Ghost meeting, the needs of the people are met and they are full of joy. The Lord particularly emphasized to him joy in the spirit. Amen. Rejoicing. That particular emphasis the Lord wanted him to have on those meetings. Wanted them to have that kind of flavor. So he began to do those meetings and like I said, they are another kind of flavor. Yes, we ought to be strong on the word. Yes, we ought to be strong on faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. Amen. And that's good and that's primary. But listen, there's also a part of it that has to do with the moving of God's spirit. Now, I don't know why, but some people just won't be healed except there's a manifestation of the spirit. Now, God's best is that we receive from him by our faith. That's his best. God's best is every believer knows his rights and privileges in Christ, acts on God's word, and receives from God. But for some reason or another, not everybody is going to be there. Now, we know there are three kinds of men. There's the natural man, there's the carnal man, there's the spiritual man. The spiritual man is a man who has fed on God's word, yeah, built his spirit, and then his recreated spirit has gained ascendancy over his soul and his body. Amen. He doesn't need to see to believe. He doesn't need a manifestation to receive. He just acts on the word of God, and he walks in the light of God's blessings and of his rights and privileges in Christ. Well, see, there are two other kinds of men. There's the natural man. The unbeliever, without hope, without God, going to a Christless grave. What, what's God going to do about those people? They tell you, well, except I see it, I'm not going to believe it. And what about the carnal man too? Who even though his spirit has been reborn, is a child of God, is still in a babyhood stage of spiritual growth and development. See, God being the kind of father he is, such a good father. Such a loving father has made provision such that those other people can be reached on their level. Amen. And that's why the flavor of these kind of meetings, they do those kind of things. They meet people on those levels. And even beyond that, the spiritual man too, he needs to learn to flow with the spirit of God. He needs to be led by the spirit of God. And there's something about being in meetings, being in certain atmospheres where certain things happen. An atmosphere where some things happen. You know, there's some uh, meetings that they become landmark meetings. They become memorials in our lives. And you can point it and say it was at that meeting that this happened. It was at that meeting that this turned around. Thank God for meetings like that. When the spirit of God is moving. And that's what we're endeavoring to teach. Now I'm conscious of the fact that quite a number of the people under the sound of my voice right now are our uh, soon-to-be graduates, some students, uh, maybe first-year students, 
And then I know I'm being live streamed already, so the general public is also listening. So I'm endeavoring to emphasize the fact that as you minister, as you graduate, maybe you're going to pastor or you're pastoring already. Maybe you're called to supportive leadership. Maybe you're called to societal leadership. Listen, you should flow in the spirit of God as well. Now, the move of the spirit doesn't necessarily have to always be spectacular. See, sometimes we seek the spectacular and we miss the supernatural. Sometimes some of those things, Brother Higgin talked about one time he went to eat somewhere at a restaurant. He was talking with a man and just patted him on the back. How are you doing? The man said, oh, I'm fine. Unknown to him, the man was bound by arthritis. And then there was an accidental discharge of the power of God because someone patted him on the back. What about that? Amen. Right in a restaurant, the guy got healed. His arthritis vanished because he got a pat on the back by somebody. Amen. So in the marketplace, maybe you're a banker. And then one customer comes in, and then you just have a witness on the inside of you. That guy, that check in his hand is a dot check or, well, it's a forged check, you know. And you can save the banks millions of, of naira. Amen. You could get a promotion too. Amen. From the move of the spirit. You could be a medical doctor, and a patient comes in, and you're trying to figure out how to diagnose what's wrong with him. And then the Lord tells you, this is the problem. This is exactly what it is. You know, he sure can. Gifts of the Spirit are not just meant for church service. Amen. We're to be flowing with the Spirit of God even in our day-to-day -day lives. We are to learn His leading, learn His moving, and yield to Him, respond to Him. Glory to God. Well, um, I seem to somewhat sense in my heart just to tell you a few stories. Maybe share a little more stories than I uh, certain stories that I haven't said in some detail. Well, I got born again, 1983, October the 9th, a Sunday, about 15 minutes to 12 noon. Um, something happened before I, that, before I got born again. The year before, December of 82, for Christmas, my mom, here I was just a young boy. And that's why we have to pay attention to the youth. That's why we have to pay attention to the children. There was um, a lady who was down our house who used to do this uh, uh, thing. She had a, a, a kids club. We used to go there every Saturday. My dad wasn't saved. My mom was. Uh, so my dad frowned at spiritual things. You know, but this lady will teach us Bible stories. The first time I heard about Elijah, he was at that place. How he called fire down from Carmel. And then she did these kids. I can't forget them. You know, but I didn't know so much. My father had taught us that, well, we shouldn't mind those people who came, claim to be children of God. That who is a child of the devil? That after all, God created all of us. We're all children of God. Now, you know, that's a lie. You know, but that was what I was taught. Now, as a small boy, my dad was my hero. My ambition in life was to do everything my dad did and beat it. That was it. And I was going in that direction. He spent four years in primary school. I did. He, I was already going in that direction, matching his stuff and going, setting out to beat whatever he did. And I believe my dad was right about everything. I'll believe anything and everything my dad would say. You know, I was just misled. Praise God. Now, of course, we ought to honor our parents. But the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Amen. So sometimes they might be wrong. That's why we ought to put the word of God first. And even if they are wrong, telling us to do something contrary to God's word, there's a way we should obey God and put God first, but still honor our parents. Amen. Well, 
And then she gave us December of 82. They were uh, for Christmas. She gave her kids, my mom, three books. They were mini books. One of them was Blueprint to Building Strong Faith by Kenneth W. Hagen. The other one was Faith Takes Back What the Devil Has Stolen by the same author. And then there was a third one, Seven Hindrances to Healing. You know, I read those books. One was for me. The other two was for my other brothers. My sister got another gift. It was in the book. I read mine, then I took my brother's own, and I read them. And those books made a deposit in my spirit. You know, something rubbed off on the inside of me. Something dropped in my heart. It's like, ooh, this seems to be different. This is saying something. But what my dad had taught me overshadowed all of that. Now, 83 took, oh well, that same 82, December, we took common entrance. I remember my number, 19007700. I, I can quote the number of my, of my I, I can quote it. I can, you know, don't mind me. <laughs> I, I just remember certain things and sometimes I'm amazed myself. Well, took common entrance that December. And um, there was another school, international school. It was in Ibadan there. One of the best in the country. And um, incidentally, I got admission to go to Federal Government College, Ilori. And also to go to international school. Now, my admission to international school came first. That was the next year, 83. The very day my dad was going to pay the deposit fee, there was a caution fee of 50,000 naira that was meant to be paid. My dad had, uh, was going to pay that money. You know, that school was inside the University of Ibadan where he worked. And um, he just went to check his mail. And he had this uh, stuff in his pigeonhole that looked like Maybe something about one of the publications he had written. Maybe they are sending a reply because the envelope was quite big. Well, he took it and for some reason he opened it. And it was an admission letter to go to Frederick College, Laurie. Now, um, my dad was not at crossroads. Where should he go out of these two schools? Should he go to international school or should he go to Frederick College, Laurie? Now, my dad, even though he wasn't saved, he had this thing about in any step you take, you should seek divine wisdom. That there's such a thing as if you can know what God wants you to do and you can do it, that things will turn out right. And that you shouldn't just uh, follow a plan of your own. Now, this was a sinner man, you know, who didn't know God. But he had a sense of we should hear from heaven about stuff. Now, um, my mom wanted me to be away from home. That's what she wanted. She was saved. She just felt like because my dad had such a strong influence on me and um, I was following his his steps. So I wasn't going to go in the right direction where God was concerned. So, and she knew if I could just be somewhere where I'm away from my dad's strong influence, it's likely God will reach me. Now she was so correct. Now, my dad, now there was this, um, uh, that was all he knew. That's all the light he had. He, he met one minister. It was a, a, a person who was born again. And then he was just talking to him, look, this is my son. I'm concerned what he should do. And then suddenly the man spoke to him. He said, I was there. I remember it clearly. He said, of the two places, that is the other school, the Frederick Government College that he's meant to go, that that's what he has in his heart. Now, my dad wasn't saved too. He didn't know to be led of God. But this is what my mom had in her heart. And my mom was born again. And then this was what that man said, minister. He said, when he goes that route, his life will go in a certain direction that will be different. 
And as a result of going that route, now he said something that will happen in that school, it happened. He said something else that later on in years to come, because of his going to this school, he will meet a white man. And he will walk with that white man. And as a result of him walking with that white man, he's going to go around the world. I remember it clearly. I remember it. That was in 83. Well, I went to Federal Government College, Ilori. We resumed October the 7th. My mom gave me a Gideon's Bible. It was um, that a green one, green cover. The first day in my life I read Psalm 91 was October 7th. In the night, that Friday night, because my mom told me, read Psalm 91. So I read it for the first time in my life. Well, the next Sunday was when they, they had FCS. They had um, uh, prayer, uh, the worship, uh, um, Christian worship, fellowship of Christian students. And so here I was, a freshman in this school. I went, like they encouraged us to go. After all, I wasn't a pagan. And we're all children of God. You know, according to my thought, what my dad had told me. Well, I sat in the service. I don't remember a word of what that man preached other than one thing. Towards the end of his message, he referred to a scripture. He quoted it, John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, when he said it, that perhaps wasn't the first time I was hearing that scripture. But when he said it that day, you know, it got my attention. That it's those who receive him who are God's children. Uh-oh. 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 So I wasn't a child of God. I hadn't received Jesus. Uh-oh. So I was a child of the devil. So I was on the way to hell. Ugh. I said, look, I want to become God's child. I want to come into God's family. I could hardly wait for him to make that call. He made that call that day as a young boy, just 10 years old. I stood up. I responded. Confessed Jesus as my Lord. Believing in my heart, God raised him from the dead. And I was born again. I knew I was. Now, um, there was something that had happened, you know, as a younger boy, as a boy of five, six, I had had a sense of the call. I knew in my spirit I was called to preach. Say, so how did you know? My spirit was alive to God. I knew. In fact, my elder sister, my elder brother, my mom, they told me that, Many times, I'll go lock up myself, shut up myself in a room, and then I'll start preaching to the thin air. I'll start preaching to an imaginary crowd. There was just the sense of the call on the inside of me. I knew I was meant to preach. Well, I grew a little older, reached the age of accountability, and then ambition took over. My dad was a professor, a university professor, in the College of Medicine, UIUCH. My mom worked in the hospital. She was a a senior nurse, senior matron in the hospital too. I've been around academic environment all my life, and I loved academics for some reason or the other. Now, as a boy of eight, as a boy of nine, I knew the person that had the greatest number of degrees in the university. There were two of them. One Professor Lumide, one Professor Oshutoku. Incidentally, I have that Oshutoku's CV. He had 321 publications. See, those things thrilled me. You know, my dad was an academic fellow. So, uh, and I was around it, and he was kind of like my mentor. He was like everything I looked forward to being. And suddenly I decided, I want to be a neurosurgeon. I want to have 15 degrees. I want to beat that 14. Now, if you told me something was difficult, then I wanted to do it. If you told me something couldn't be done, I had to do it. So that was kind of like my, uh, the way I was. So I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. 
And that was my ambition. I, I was set to do it. And I was going in that direction. I did well in school, you know. But then, October 9, I got saved, 1983. The very next day, we had this excursion. They took us for a week. It was orientation. And isn't it interesting? My first week in that school, I got born again. During the, uh, we came back after going for that. We went somewhere in, in the town, in Lauren Town. Got back to school. I was a boarding student. The bus that dropped us, dropped us right in front of our uh, technical drawing hall, which was close to our dining hall. I came out, stood right in front of that place. And all of a sudden, on the inside of me, just a witness. I didn't hear a voice. I didn't see a vision. Just an inward intuition, an inward knowing. That thing came back. You're men who preach. You're men who preach. This is what God will want you to do in life. He has called you to preach. If you don't preach, you can never be happy. If you don't preach, you will never be fulfilled. That's the plan of God for your life. I just knew it. Then I said, oh gosh, but I want to be a doctor. I want to be a neurosurgeon. How can I do that? And then there was also this sense in my heart. Now, for some people, God might want them to pursue their career up to a certain extent before they quit it and then maybe go into ministry full time. Some people, he may never want them to stop their career. He may just want them to minister on the side. You see, you know hard and fast rules about these things. Each person should be led by the Spirit of God and follow God's plan for his own life. But with me, I knew it was an either or. I had to choose one. And then I was at crossroads that day. And here I was, so ambitious. Then I told myself, I said, Lord, if you call me to preach, then I'm going to go for it. If it means not being a doctor, so be it. If it means giving up on my uh, ambition and all, the sooner I do, the better. I want to obey you. I just want to please you. I just want to do what is right, what you have me to do. And if it means preaching, whoa, let's get it done. Let's get it started. Praise God. And then I'll begin to share one-on-one -on -one with people, you know, uh, what I knew, all I knew, I'm a child of God, I'm born again. They needed to receive Jesus into their hearts also. Well, we went on vacation. I got home. I told my mom. I said, mom, guess what? I said, I'm born again now. Oh, she said, that's awesome. It makes two of us. She now said, then these two of us, we can believe for the rest of the family. I said, that's great. Now, my mom told me there's an experience subsequent to the new birth called the baptism in the Holy Ghost. I said, what's that? You know, he said it has to do with something about speaking in tongues and all that. I'd never heard that. Then she gave me a book to read. Now, my mom had some Kenneth Hagin books in our library. And it wasn't long before I got them all read. You know, I read that April the 4th of 1984. It was a Wednesday, about 6.30 in the evening. I knelt down, opened my Bible to Mark 11, 23 and 24. Mark 16, 17. And then I prayed a simple prayer. Father, I want to receive the Holy Ghost. I believe I receive him right now. Thank you for giving me all trust in tongues. Prayed a prayer to that effect. Started speaking in tongues. And I did something that day that shocked me. I interpreted what I said in tongues. And I gave a word of wisdom about something that was going to happen where my family was concerned. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what all that was. By this time, I wasn't only born of the Spirit. I was also filled with the Spirit. So the things of the Spirit became more real to me. Got back to school. Got more involved in the things of God. Didn't know so much. But one good thing we had in that school was we had a library. In that library, we had many Kenneth Hagin books. Many of them. Perhaps almost all of them were in that school library. And for some reason or the other, over the years, whoever the librarian was, was someone who was my friend. 
You know, I made friends with the librarian. Now, the rule was you borrow books on Sundays. We had a Saturday Bible study, and then we had Sunday morning service, worship, and then Sunday evening service. So it's in the meetings that you borrow the books, you return it the next meeting. But then, here I was, I borrow one. Uh, before that week is done, I go get another one. Then I go get another one. Then I go get another one. Then I began to devour those books. And then this was something that was also interesting. I sensed in my heart, when I, uh, in that library, there was a book I saw, What Faith Is, by Kenneth E. Hagin. It was the old one, the first edition, not the slim line we have now, you know. That one that had the, was white with a faith shield that was blue, you know, that version of it. As soon as I saw that book, laid my eyes on that book, it was like something on the inside of me leaped up and said, that's that stuff. Go after it. You know, that's what you read the last year. That It was like something just resonated in my heart. That there was something about that ministry, something about that message that I was meant to grab a hold of. So I began to devour those books. Feed on them. And got busy studying and studying and studying. Had such a hunger. Naturally, I never liked literature. I never liked literature. Didn't like reading books. Mm, we wouldn't read novels. Wouldn't read any of that kind of stuff. But when it came to these man's books, I devoured them like, when I get a book, I almost can't drop it till I'm done. I remember uh, there was a copy of a book I saw with someone. I went to his house. Uh, the book had just come out. It was Triumphant Church, 292 pages. I asked him, I said, oh, this book, can I borrow it? He said, he's reading it. Then I said, uh, are you going to sleep tonight? He said, he's going to sleep. I said, can I stay in your house and read it while you're sleeping? Oh, he said, sure. Well, through the night I read it. By the time morning came, I'd read it beyond where he was. So I said, you know what? Just go ahead and finish reading it. I stayed in his house. I didn't leave that house until I was done. You know, I just had that kind of passion. Then also, there was just a staring too inside me. It was, all this was a witness. Follow after that ministry. Follow after that ministry. Follow after that ministry close. Follow after that ministry close. It wasn't a voice. Just a, a, a witness in my heart. So I began to do that. I began to do that. Then I noticed sometimes I'll be praying, especially praying in tongues. The first time this happened, it almost scared me. Then something will run in front of me like a TV screen. And then I wonder, what's that? What's that? Then I find out that it was things that were happening to people or happening at that moment or had happened previously. I didn't know it was a word of knowledge. But I just noticed that would happen with me quite regularly. Quite regularly. I had the opportunity. I was teaching in the Bible study group. And then I began to teach in the fellowship. I became an executive there. I was the first person, a student, that they allowed to take the pulpit in Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening. You know, I was the first person they allowed to do that in that fellowship. And then I just began to get after it some more. And get after it some more. 1989. 1989, August. August of 89. Ah, it was just before my last term in that school. I was preparing. This was the third Sunday in August. I was at home. We we're going to have extension classes, so we're going to resume a little earlier, stay longer and all that. So I was thinking, oh, before this, my last time in school, yeah, you know, I'm getting ready. I'm going to share, you know, I was scheduled to teach on, I had two meetings to take. One was... Uh, the title was Zoe, the God kind of life. The other one was obtaining healing and walking in health. I remember vividly. So I was just thinking about those meetings. 
I came upstairs to the room we were staying then, 39B, Adenuga Street, Kongilea, Bodija, Inibadon. I came upstairs, and when I did, I had a thought about, you know, how I was going to preach, some things that were going to happen and all that, what I sensed the Lord would have me do. Then all of a sudden, this voice spoke up, audible. Now, it wasn't a still, small voice. It was authoritative. It came from inside me. It was so loud, I actually turned and said, who said that? Then I checked under the bed. Then I looked inside the wardrobe. Oh, then I remembered, oh, this must be what Brother Hagin talked about, about the voice of the Spirit of God. And then it had something to do with about the, about the prophet's office and all that. And then I was wondering, what, what, what could that be? What, what, what's that all about? Now, earlier that same year, January, January of 89. Incidentally, it was January the 15th. January the 15th of 1989 happened to have been a Sunday. Now, I was reading Understanding the Anointing by Kenneth E. Hagin. Finished reading the book. I was getting off the bed and I was going to, as I was about dropping the book, because I just had finished it, and I was going to stand off the bunk where I was in Faith House, you know, between room one upstairs and room two upstairs, I had a cubicle. As I was going to get off the bed, all of a sudden, I heard these words rise up inside me. There is an anointing on your hands to minister to the sick. And when that power is present and you lay your hands on the dead, they'll come back to life. I thought to myself, who's going to believe that? I'm not sure I do myself. So I just shrugged it off. Now, a few weeks after that, a certain minister of the gospel walks up to me and said, well, there's something the Lord spoke to you and you didn't want to take it seriously. In actual fact, you shrugged it off. And he quoted it word for word. Word for word. I was shocked. How did you know? He said, well, God spoke to me. And he told me to tell you that the thing is more serious than I imagine it is. And he wants me to get busy doing what he's told me to do. Later that year, one, one um, afternoon, I was reading. I was in, um, at that time, the B block. And all of a sudden, it came to my heart, just like a knowing that there was going to be Rama Bible Training Center in Nigeria, that it will happen. And then there was also something else, and that I was going to have something to do with it, and that those things were going to happen. Well, I thought, well, if, if, if it's going to happen, well, so be it. I just left it alone. You know, God is big enough to work out his plans. If he can't work it out, it's his problem. It's not mine. As long as I play my part, I cooperate with him. I stay faithful to do what he's told me to do at the time, you know, and just walk with him every step of the way. He, whatever it is he has in the future, he will bring it to pass. Then there are times I'll be praying and then I'll see myself preaching. I'll see myself preaching. There was one time I saw I was in a foreign country. I saw I needed an interpreter. I had things like that happen a lot. You see, sometimes God will give us glimpses into the future. Glimpses about his plans. Glimpses about his purpose. Now, what are we to do? We're to be faithful every step of the way. You know, sometimes some people, they sense a call to something uh, big, you know. And anything God calls us to is big. But then, we have to be faithful where we are at. We have to be faithful where we are at. My attitude was, I was ready to do anything anywhere the door opened. You needed somebody to serve, I was available. You needed somebody to do this, I was available, regardless of anything. So I just threw myself into the things of God. Began to devour the books. Began to, then I began to get tapes from Kenneth Hagin Ministries. I listened to those tapes. There are some, I remember there was um, uh, Man and Miracles, Camp Meeting 78. 
I listened to that thing until it caught. And then I would join it and it would cut. And I would join it and it would cut. And I would join it until I couldn't join it anymore. Then I had to go copy another master. You know, then I just began to feed on those things and feed on those things. And just stayed faithful. Stayed obedient to God. Well, I got in university and um, I was busy preaching. You know, from secondary school. Got in university, I was busy preaching. It's just in recent years that I've come to the schedule of ministry I had as an undergraduate student. I preached so much. My God, it was awful. Believe me. I mean, it was, it was too much. It was extreme. I tell young people, there was a fellow I was talking with who sensed the call of God on his life. And um, he was in, the, in school. I told him, I said, listen, I'm a called man. I've been where you're at. You don't have to give this up for that. At least not now. God might want you to do that later. But for God's sake, don't be a dropout. Amen. God helped me. I made sure I finished in school. I graduated. Ooh. It, school felt like bondage. It felt like, oh God, get me out of this prison and I go preach. Get me out of this pre prison and I go preach. I wanted to. It was just burning on the inside of me. It was like Paul said. He said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Well, 1991, December. December of 1991. December the... The second happened to have been a Monday. For some reason, that Monday, I just felt like I should pray and not eat any food. So I prayed the whole day, talked in tongues. Now, I used to have something that I put out then, that if anybody could ever catch me, if you could catch me, that I'm not sleeping, I'm not eating, and I'm not talking to someone, and you can catch me that I'm not praying quietly in tongues, I owe you $1,000. Anybody, you can get it. If you can catch me, because... I just felt like if this brain in tongues thing, if it's that valuable, then I ought to pray in tongues a lot. If Paul said, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all, and the guy ended up doing much more, laboring much more than the rest of the apostles, he had more revelation, he had such insight, whoa, then there just might be a correlation. So I began to pray ridiculous hours in tongues. I guess I was a little extreme too. And um, that day, ah, prayed the whole day, by evening, like around 11, I broke the fast. When I did, I just still sensed like, no, I should take some more time just to wait on God, just to love on him, just to minister to him, just to fellowship with him. So I decided, all right, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take some extra time. So I started again the next day, third, fourth, fifth, three days. The longest I've ever fasted in my life was three days. Always by the third day, I got my answer and I quit. Amen. Now, some people's bodies are suited for long fast. Some people's bodies are not. You could fast your way into heaven and get to heaven really fast. Amen. God wants us to have some common sense about these things. Amen. Now, I've gone for months, taking just one meal a day, but the longest I've ever gone, not eating, was three days. And I got my answer the third day. I always quit. Praise God. Now, the thing also about fasting is this. It doesn't change God. God is the same before you fast, while you're fasting, when you get through fasting. I guess because we have such a culture, you know, of, you know, everything. Kickback. Egunje. Settlement. That if we're not careful, we carry that same mentality into our walk with God. God, this year, you must bless me, oh. So I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast this number of days so that I won't die this year. I'm going to fast this number of days so that I'll be healed this year. I'm going to fast this number of days. My friend... You don't need to fast so that you'll be blessed. You're already blessed. There are scriptural reasons to fast. There are reasons that if you're fasting for those reasons, you're just starving. It's not necessary. It actually works. 
But this wasn't, I wasn't fasting for anything. I just sensed the Lord wanted me to wait on him. Like they did in Acts 13 as a minister to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said. I wasn't even expecting God to say anything to me. I just felt like just ministering to him and taking time off food. Well, that Tuesday I prayed. Virtually the whole day. Prayed in other tongues. Came to about 12 hours. I'm a good one to watch and pray. The next day, about 15 hours. The third day, about 19 hours. Now, there's nothing to that, really, other than I just sense how to wait on God. There's no special magic to it. Amen. People sometimes ask me, how long should I pray? How long shouldn't I pray? I tell people, look, in the light of your situation, in the light of your circumstances, just take quality time out. I tell people an hour or two every day, tithe of your time is good enough. Let God. There are some things about, I've had people ask me, how do you study in your personal life? How do you pray? I usually don't like to talk about it because somebody is going to make a religious monument out of it and they're going to think that's how it should be done. But that's what the Lord told me to do. He will tell you to do something else. You don't have to do what he tells me to do. Let's all follow the word and let's all be led by the spirit of God in our own hearts. And whatever specifically he tells us, then let's go do it. Praise God. Well, the third day, December the 5th, obviously was a Thursday. Five minutes to midnight. I was wearing blue khaki shorts. I was wearing a linen shirt. I remember it like yesterday. No spiritual things never grow old. When all of a sudden, I was by UI Gate. You know, there was this shed that was there. It used to be called Queen's, Queen, Queen's Hall uh, Car Park. That was what they called it, you know, by the gate. You know, I sat there. The whole place was quiet. There was nobody else. So I wasn't being a nuisance. I was just praying quietly. When all of a sudden, five minutes to midnight, I had a voice. Still small voice. It wasn't loud and audible. It was still and small. So still and small that if I had him in small and still enough, I might have missed it. Well, and this is what the voice said. From this night onwards, what is known in my word as the gift of faith, together with the descending of spirits, when you are in the spirit will be in very strong oppression in your life. And that tangible anointing you minister under will come back to stay. And it will be a hundred times stronger. You know, it was like, ah, ah, baba, God, eh, You know, it's like, ah, ah, God, ah, ah. This is, this is exaggeration. Pipe down now. This is, you know, that's how I felt like, no, oh, this can't be. That's, I felt like he was just exaggerating. Listen, he wasn't exaggerating. Well, I broke my fast early hours of morning after I did for some reason that Friday I just lost my appetite also so I ended up praying the whole day now the church I attended then they had uh, prayer services on uh, oh, Fridays Friday 6 30 so I went to church for the prayer service 6 30 now about 7 45 in that prayer time I we were praying I was standing up you know praying when all of a sudden I had a funny experience, it felt like somebody came from behind me and threw, best way I know to describe it, an overcoat on me. It wore exactly on me. It seemed to have wrapped around my being, my head, my neck, my, my um, hands, my legs, just wrapped. It was like it was my size perfectly and just wrapped around me. Now, I was wondering, what's this? Then the next thing that happened, I had a sensation of something creepy. Creepy. A creepy sensation. Like something was creeping inside me. And that to me was weird and strange. It's like, what's going on? You know, there was this odd-shaped thing that seemed to be 
moving inside me. I felt it in my spirit. So I sat down. I said, if it's this praying that is causing this thing, what was what, going on? So I sat. I was trying to figure out what's happening. When all of a sudden, I felt something. It came from up. Both my elbows were bent, slightly bent like they are right now. He hit my right elbow first. And then next, he hit my next left elbow. And I was still trying to figure it out. Then from my upper arms to my palms, I had a sensation like there were tubes. Many tubes. Right from my upper arms, both hands, right to my palms. And I felt this thing. It felt like liquid electricity. That's the best way I know to describe it. I felt it. I didn't sense it in the spirit. I felt it in my body. I felt it in my body. Listen, my eyeballs tingled. My teeth rattled. My body began to tremble. Not because I was trying to tremble. It was like I held a life wire. I I hear people sometimes say, well, we all have the Holy Ghost without measure. I laugh when they say that. Listen, just a little more of the measure of God's power will fry your height. Jesus could have the Holy Ghost without measure because his body was neither mortal nor immortal. It was like Adam's body was before the fall. My body is mortal, at least now. Yes, one day we'll have glorified bodies. Now, talking about the Holy Ghost within, he's not in measures. We have as much of the Holy Ghost within us as Jesus had within him and he has within him because that's a function of sonship. Now, when it comes to the Holy Ghost upon, he is in measures. To every one of us is grace given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So the anointing is in measures. Hebrews 2.4 says distributions and of the Holy Ghost. That word is merismos. Amen. He's in measures. So the anointing can be increased. The anointing can be enhanced. Ministers know it. There are times you are more anointed to minister at other times. That's just the truth. Well, um, I couldn't stand it. I yelled out, Lord, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Now, I believe that the same measure of the Holy Ghost that was upon Jesus is the measure that is upon the body of Christ, not one individual. And that's why we need to walk together because it's all of us together that makes the body. Amen. Now, of course, we can do greater works than Jesus did as individuals. Why? He never got anybody born again. We can't. He never got anybody filled with the Holy Ghost. We can't. Now, he was limited. You know, ministered. The number of people that were even on the earth then were limited. Now, we have the internet. We have Twitter. Uh, As I'm talking now, it's going around the world. So, we can do greater works in certain senses. But in another sense, we don't have the measure he had. Amen. Well, I knew enough by that time to know that the anointing can be stored in cloth. Now, cloth has never healed anybody yet. Cloth doesn't destroy yokes. It's the anointing that does. But just like the woman with the issue of blood touched Jesus' clothes, and the power he was anointed with flowed into those clothes. Amen. And then flowed into her body as she released her faith. Remember our scripture that your faith shall not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, we should have faith in God's word. We ought to have faith in the blood. Amen. We ought to have faith in the name. But you know what? We ought to also have faith in the power of God. We ought to mix faith with that power. Amen. I knew enough about that power. You see, there are certain laws that govern the operation of the anointing. The more we understand those laws and we cooperate with them, the better we will be equipped to reach people. Amen. The better equipped we will be to reach people. And that's why these things can be taught. John G. Lake said something. He said the secret of healing is the tangibility of the Holy Ghost. He said healing is not only a matter of faith and the grace of God. He said but it's a perfectly scientific application of God's spirit 
to meet man's needs. He said, if we can only get the world to understand the pregnant vitality of the Spirit of God, that is the vital force that stands behind all manifestations of life everywhere, we want to get more people healed. So the anointing can manifest in a tangible form. Amen. Now, you don't need to feel anything to lay hands on the sick. You don't need to, you don't need to uh, even be a minister to lay hands on the sick. In the sense of your call to pulpit ministry. Jesus said these signs shall follow them that believe. Every believer can lay hands on the sick. And should lay hands on the sick. Amen. But right on the other hand. Sometimes God wants to use some people in certain ways. Amen. Acts 19, 11 and 12 says. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought unto the sick. Handkerchiefs and aprons. And the diseases departed from them. And the evil spirits went out of them. Well, I laid hands on that trouser. It was a great trouser. A man by the name Sion Fasure, who was in England, is the one that gave it to me. I remember it had some turn-ups at the bottom. I don't know. I just happened to remember some of those. Sometimes I get talking about it. It just rises up on the inside of me. Well, I laid hands on it. There was a, a lady who was in medical school. She, uh, 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 she was from quite a family background. If I go into some more details about it, you might be able to figure out that family. Well, they had a child who had Down syndrome. And then, you know, we ought to prove things. So I talked to her about what the Lord told me. You know, another friend of mine who's a, a consultant now, he was in medical school too then, they were classmates. He told her, I said, there's this young man who, you know, he gets some results ministering to the sick. Well, told the lady, I talked to the lady, the boy wasn't there, so I gave, sent that uh, trouser. I said, they should just... Make sure it's in contact with him. And then release the power of God once it is. You know what happened? The boy got healed. The boy got healed. Amen. You know, the Bible says you ought to prove all things. There's one young man. He had a viral infection. He didn't know which one it was. Actually, there were suspicions it was HIV AIDS. This was way back in 91. That same month, December. Well, I had been bedfast, actually. So um, I just shared with him a little bit and then told him, I said, look, I could lay hands on you. There's this experience I had. Now, this is it. If I don't talk about it, it won't work. That's not the only way to minister, but that's one way to minister. And the Lord that told me that's how he wants me to minister primarily. But you see, I need to talk about it for it to work. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4, remember verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. They went about the fame of him throughout the region round about. They taught in the synagogues, being glorified of all. And went to Nazareth where he been brought up. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as his custom was. He stood up for to read. There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised. The Bible says, he closed the book and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fasting on him and he began to say unto them this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears now what was he telling them he was telling them that I'm anointed to minister if you believe that and you'll receive that then it'll work for you well you know what they threw him out of town and it didn't work for them they were going to kill him proud of the heel in Nazareth if not for God's intervention he walked in them away from their midst he was miraculously saved there he could dare do no mighty work Save that he laid hands on a few sickly folks with minor ailments. And the Bible says, Mark 6, 5 and 6, he marveled because of the unbelief. Amen. A servant is not above his master. If unbelief hindered Jesus, who had the Holy Ghost to that measure, it hindered any of us from ministering. Amen. 
So you see, that's why he talked about it. The Bible was saying Luke 5.15, Luke 6.17. How they came to hear him and to be healed. The woman with the issue of blood, when she had had knowledge of him, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press of her hand and touched his garment. What do you think she heard of Jesus? That he was a carpenter? That he was a good teacher? Was that what he heard? If what he heard, she heard was he was a good teacher, she would have come to learn. But she heard that he was anointed. She heard that he was anointed. In Acts 10, we actually see that Jesus published that message everywhere he went. It said it everywhere. Beginning from Nazareth, he published it everywhere he went. He had to tell them, folks, I'm anointed to minister this way. Now, listen, we are all men. Are you listening? It's the anointing that's the issue. I'm just as human as anybody else. There's nothing special to me, absolutely nothing, other than the fact that I have the same life of God you've got, and I've got the same Holy Ghost that you've got. I'm a child of God. Amen. See, God, God once spoke Hebrew through a donkey. He didn't make the donkey any special. Amen. So you see, we must always put things in perspective. People like to deify men and give them larger than life statuses. And sometimes some of us ministers, we encourage it. No, we shouldn't. Let's put the uh, put things in right perspective. It's Jesus who is the healer. Amen. And then the laying on of hands is used to transmit that power. I'm thinking now of, uh, I want to minister in this church. There was this lady, full-blown HIV. Now, the other guy, I laid hands on him. I was praying in the middle of the prayer. I felt the power flow out of my hand and enter his body. I stopped. So there's no use to continue praying. That power went into your body. You're healed. Nothing had changed. It was still bad fast with the same symptoms. But I told him, keep the switch of faith turned on. Well, before the week was up, he was up. And he's been up ever since. Amen. Incidentally, as you spoke with the fellow this morning, happened to have given me a call. Perfectly healed. The power of God drove it out. Praise God. Uh, I'm thinking now. Uh, the other place I said, I went to minister. I talked along some of these lines. There was a lady there whose sister had full-blown HIV AIDS. Well, she said the sister was in there. I said, this is what I want you to do. Get the CD of this message. Get the CD. Get it to your sister. I want her to hear the word. You know, sometimes if we're too quick to minister to people, we actually take them farther away from their healing. Amen. If they're not yet in position to receive, you become another statistic of the number of ministers that have laid hands on them and they didn't get anything. So, get out to listen to the message. Amen. And then, you have a common handkerchief, just any handkerchief. I'll lay hands on it when the power is present, when it's in manifestation. Now, since that December uh, uh, 91 night, any moment I start talking about it, I start feeling it in my hands. There are times it comes really strong. One time I was in class as a student. That power came very strong in manifestation. I didn't tell the guy what I was going to do, but I was a bit mischievous. I just patted him on the back. He fell on the floor. Wow. He said, what was that? Something came out of your hand. Oh, I said, I, I, I know what it was, you know. I just did it like that. So you see, it's tangible. It's perceptible to the touch. Now it heals, but it does not only heal, it does other things. Um, 89, I told you what he told me, January of 89. March 22nd of 1989, happened to have been a Wednesday. About 20 minutes past 7 in the evening. That same still small voice spoke up, and this is what it said. It said, I've given you a ministry of laying on of hands. To lay hands on the sick and get them healed. And to lay hands on believers and get them filled with the Holy Ghost. I thought to myself, I don't know of any such ministry as laying on of hands. I know the apostle. I know the prophet. I know the evangelist. I know the pastor. I know the teacher. I don't know laying on of hands. I don't know what that is. 
I don't know which one uh, that is about. Thank you, sir. I, I, I don't know that one. You know, so I, I didn't pay attention to it. Then sometime after I got to study in my Bible, I saw in Acts 8, from verse 5 to 8, where the Bible says Philip went down to Samaria, preached Christ unto them. The people gave heed with one accord, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Unclean spirits, crying out in loud voices, came out of many that were possessed. Many that were lame and had the palsy were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now verse 14 says, when the apostles at Jerusalem had that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they had come prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet it was fallen upon none of them. Verse 17 says, and when they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost. Verse 18, and when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, Simon the sorcerer, the Holy Ghost was given. He offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he might receive the Holy Ghost. Peter answering him said, That gift perish with thee, for thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither lot nor part in this matter. Now, incidentally, the Greek word for matter there is the same Greek word for utterance in Acts 2.4. So it's actually, you have neither lot nor part in this matter of utterance. Now, what was Simon the sorcerer asking for? Was he asking for the Holy Ghost? He wasn't. He said, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he might receive the Holy Ghost. He was asking for the power to be able to impart the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands. Now, how come Philip didn't get them filled with the Holy Ghost? But he got them saved. Why did he have to send for Peter and John who came all the way from Jerusalem to Samaria? Did they have to travel because those guys needed to get filled with the Holy Ghost? Listen, Philip could have ministered to them in faith. But you see, Peter and John had a ministry there. Many times in ministry, we try to be a jack of all trades. And we end up being a master of none. There's something about learning. You see, we all have our place. There's some, what God wants each person to do. And it's when all of us put in our supply that the body is edified like it should be. And like it can be. Amen. We don't have to spread ourselves thin. Praise God. We can share with what God called us to do. And now... When Peter answered him, he said, for thou hast thought that the gift of God. Also, the Greek word for gift there, if he was talking about, if he had been talking about the gift of the Holy Ghost, as in the baptism in the Holy Ghost, the Greek word that would have been used would have been doria. That was the word always used for the gift of eternal life or the gift of the Holy Ghost. But it wasn't doria. The Greek word was the word charisma. One of the meanings of charisma is miraculous faculty, endowment. So you see, there's an endowment when it comes to the laying on of hands, we're in Hebrews 6 verse 1, where the Bible says, you know, therefore, leaving the elementary principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, to maturity. Not laying again the foundation, so it's foundational, of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Verse 3 says, and this we will do the Lord permit. So you see, one of the fundamental principles, six of them, of the doctrine of Christ is the laying on of hands. So it's a doctrine. You know, there was one guy was talking to Brother Hagin one time, you know, because Lord used Brother Hagin along these lines. And then the guy said to him, he said, don't let anybody talk you out of this thing. You know, he said, they talked me out of it. The Lord spoke to me along similar lines many years back. But you see, I backed out because I didn't want to make a doctrine out of it. Listen, you don't have to make a doctrine out of it. Jesus already made a doctrine out of it. Amen. It's a doctrine in the Bible. Now, any believer can lay hands, like I said. But sometimes God uses some people along these lanes. And there's a ministry there. What is the laying on of hands used for? To impart healing. I can tell you story after story. Story after story. You see, the gifts of healings and the healing anointing technically are not the same. There's a difference between them. 
with the healing anointing, there has to be some contact. Now, when I have the anointing in manifestation fully, if I get some distance before people, a certain distance before them, it flows. It's just like electricity. If the voltage is very high, you know, there are times without touching it, if you get close enough to it, there's a force field around it that sucks. Just sucks up your hand. And then the, the power flows. The same thing with the power of God. Now, you know, men did not invent electricity. Electricity was never invented. God created electricity. Electricity has been here since creation. But it wasn't until Michael Faraday and all these guys discovered it. Now, there are laws that govern electricity. The more those laws were learned and the more they were harnessed and the more they were applied, the more useful electricity became to mankind. I'm using the microphone. That's electricity. The, the speakers and all, that's electricity. But you see, this thing has always been there. The power of God, just like electricity is God's power in the natural, the anointing is God's power in the spiritual. The more we learn how to cooperate with it, the more results we will get out of it. Now, why am I saying this? Where am I coming from? Two things. Yes, I'll do something shortly, but not just that. And not even majorly that. There are many of you God wants to use along these lanes. There are many of you God is going to use along these lanes. You see, one, like we said yesterday about association, environment. Amen. Association, environment. Things rub off. Things rub off. Things rub off. That's how the anointing rubs off. Being in certain environments. Being in certain associations. Brother Higgins said there were some anointings he had in some areas of ministry that some of his staff took from him. And then God moved him over to another area and he didn't minister along those lanes anymore. Someone else got it. Now it's not as if, you see, God has enough for all of us. Amen. But you see, there is a grace on this family. There are certain things that are synonymous with Rhema. And if you are Rhema, those things are in our company. Now, not everybody will minister exactly the same way, but everybody can minister in the power of the Spirit of God. And definitely, God wants to use many of us along these lanes. And this is what I always tell people. Be bold. Be bold to act on what the Lord told you. Imagine in 1989, if I had shrugged it off and I said, well, I'm not going to believe it. Look at some cases of cancer that have been healed. Yeah, I've had them. I've seen them healed. Amen. Laid hands on them. I felt that power go through, through my hands into their body. I felt it. I'm not saying I just perceived I felt it. Sometimes I lay hands on people and it doesn't leave my body. It doesn't leave my hands. Sometimes it leaves and comes back. You say, how can you tell? I feel it. Amen. Because it's tangible. Now, you don't have to feel anything. Any believer can lay hands in faith. Also, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, whether you're called along these areas or not, if you will take time to pray enough in tongues. See, Acts 1.8 says you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much. The Amplified Bible says, The continued earnest heartfelt prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. If you will take time as a spirit-filled believer to pray in the spirit, you get charged with the power of God. Amen. And sometimes there will be a manifestation of that life flowing through you as you lay hands on people. But you see, we have to deliberately know about these things. Study about these things. Learn about these things. And I can tell of several cases. That other lady, I laid hands on the handkerchief. The, the sister got the CD for her. I didn't hear from them for a while. Then a few months down the line, I suddenly get a call. 
And the person on the other end of the call starts crying. I'm wondering, why are they crying? Now, I'd saved the sister's number. So I was wondering, oh, what happened? Hope oh, she didn't die. What's the matter? And then it was tears of joy. My sister is healed. They can't find a trace of it. They went to her. All the symptoms cleared. Not just that. They went to the first place. They did a test. They couldn't find it. Second place, they couldn't find it. Third place, they couldn't find it. It was gone. It was gone. And I can tell of certain other things. See, there are times God might move in different ways at different times. One time I was teaching in Rema, India. And all of a sudden, uh, like I sometimes do, like I'm doing right now, I was moving around. I stood in front of one lady. And on the inside of me, he just came up, tell that lady she's healed. Now, this is about those things. Look, we have to learn to yield to the Holy Ghost by faith. What hinders people sometimes is they say, what if I'm wrong? Well, if you're wrong, you won't be the first person to be wrong. And you probably won't be the last. And then if you're wrong, you've succeeded in learning one of the ways it doesn't work. Amen. But you see, there's a learning to it. And that's why there are Holy Ghost meetings. It's a safe environment for believers to learn to respond to the Holy Ghost. It's a safe environment for believers to learn how to yield to the Holy Ghost. A safe environment where if you make a mistake, it's okay. You'll be helped. You'll be corrected. Amen. Sometimes it moves on you to laugh. It sounds ridiculous. But here you are. You know, those folks were laughing. You felt like, well, I may just as well laugh at them. I may get criticized for it. And they may call me names for it. But I can see it in the Bible. Have a witness in my heart that it's real. I'll go ahead. Now, if you've done something that foolish. And now, foolish to the natural man. And now you are by the bus stop. And then there's one crippled man by the side. And that same temper of spirit that you yielded to, to laugh, that seemed so ridiculous, that it looked like you might lose your reputation over it, that it seemed like you might lose your standing before your friends over it, and you yielded. Well, you're used to it. It won't hurt just to yield and pray for him. Amen. So you see, we learn to respond to the Holy Ghost. That's one of the essence of these meetings, so that believers can learn the voice of the Spirit of God. There's one guy, I know him personally, he was one of those who came to this kind of ch a church that believed in these kind of things. See, some people embrace the faith message and stop there. That's great, but that's not all that there is to it. There's a move of the Spirit, folks, that God wants us to get in on. God wants us to get in on. There's something extra it will bring to your life. Financially, physically, materially, your, spiritually too. Well, he was used to rejoicing like this. He said, one day, in the morning, some people were trying to push a car where he lived. He said he had been used to laughing in the spirit, dancing in the spirit, yielding to the Holy Ghost in these kind of meetings. He said the natural thing was for him to help them push the car. He said he wanted to go and help them. Something on the inside of him. He said that same spirit he had gotten accustomed to, he had gotten used to yielding to in church. Just checked him and said, don't do it. Don't do it. You know, that seemed mean. Here they are. They're trying to push a car. They need some help. One person is in the car. One other person is pushing it. They need some help. Go help them. He said that thing. He said, don't do it. So he didn't do it. Well, they pushed the car. They moved it. Guess what? They were stealing the car. They stole it. They took off with it. If he had helped them. If he had helped them. <laughs> he perhaps would have lived the rest of his life in prison. You see that? From being in these kind of meetings, from being in these kind of atmospheres, where we learn to yield to him. Amen. So the laying on of hands is used, yes, for ministering healing. Yes, for ministering the Holy Ghost. But you know that Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift of God that was in him. 
that was given him through the laying on of hands of the elders. That was given him through the laying on of his hands. He said, stir up the gift of God that's in you. Now, many times we say that's the Holy Ghost. And yes, it has the application to the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Paul laid hands on many people to receive the Holy Ghost, like the church in Ephesus. But it wasn't the baptism in the Holy Ghost he was talking about there. How do I know? The Greek word, now this is not a Greek class, but the Greek word there wasn't the word Doria. It was charisma. So it was a miraculous faculty. So there was an endowment that was imparted to Timothy when Paul laid his hands on him. You see, sometimes God wants to use people in certain areas. But you see, there is a spiritual equipping that we need to step into those things. We want you to go out in the power of God. Amen. Let me tell you what I see. When I see Rema graduates, I see people who are changing a nation. I see people who are changing a continent. Let me tell you guys something. See, from this campus, this campus right here in Kaduna, things will happen that will baffle the nation. Things will happen that will shake the nation. Shake the nation. Testimonies that will rock the nation. Whose hands will they happen through? Yours. Yours. Amen. God wants all of us to be carriers of that power. You see, like Raymond T. Richie said, he said, divine healing is the dinner bell. If you keep ringing that bell, the folks will keep coming in. John 6, 2 says, multitudes followed Jesus when they saw the miracles he did to them that were diseased. Thank God for the supernatural. You see, it's God's word that will change people's lives. That's the truth. It's God's word that will get people to grow up spiritually. That's the truth. It's God's word that will bring the sinner to a decision. That's the truth. But sometimes you need to get his attention first. And that's where the signs and wonders come in. That's where the miraculous comes in. Amen. And we can walk in that. We should walk in that. And that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to show an example of it. So that you too can go to it. So that you too can be having it. Have meetings in your, healing meetings in your churches. Have, have believers meetings in your churches. Have Holy Ghost meetings in your churches. Of course, under the leading of the Spirit. But you see, you're not just to go with a message. You are to go with a mandate. You have to go with power. You have to go with an endowment. Amen. Paul said that his speech and his preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. He said, but in demonstration, demonstration of the spirit and of power. Incidentally, I don't know why I'm doing a lot of Greek this morning. The same root word for demonstration is the same word for manifestation. Same Greek word. Amen. Look, there are spiritual manifestations of the spirit. There are also physical demonstrations of the spirit. And then the Spirit of God likes to demonstrate. He likes to show off himself. Why? To magnify Jesus so that the lost can be saved. So that the lost can be saved. Now, there's an emphasis we must not miss when it comes to the move of the Spirit. And what's this? In Acts 1.8, Jesus said you receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Why? And ye shall be witnesses unto me. You see, the essence of the baptism in the Holy Ghost, thank God for tongues. Listen, I'll be one of the last to disparage the importance of tongues. But you know what? The essence of it is so that we can be endued with power to be witnesses. There's a harvest. There's a harvest. We must not get our eyes off the finish line. There's a harvest. Guys, folks are going to Christless graves. Folks are dying in their numbers. Some folks, look, here we are. You say, I've read this book, I've read that book, I've read the other book. Some haven't ever heard the name Jesus. And then we want to sit comfortably and do nothing. 
My friend, I'm going to kick you in the butt. Go do something. Go obey God. Go in the power of God. Go demonstrate his spirit. Go forth. Listen, the bolder you are, the more the results you will get. The bolder you are. Look, you're going to get persecuted. It's okay. You're going to get criticized. It's okay. You're going to be misunderstood. It's okay. But friend, go forth. Dare to do. Dare to do. Dare to do. Contend for it. Contend for it. Be strong about it. You know, you, know you, can, you can program the Holy Ghost out of your church meeting. You know? And everything is cut and dried. This is how we do in this church. We start at this time. We finish at this time. That's how we do every time. And listen. On the other hand, there are folks who are extreme. I'm one of those people that I don't believe in keeping people in church too long unnecessarily. It's good to have a program and to stick with your program. If some churches just took less time, on Sunday mornings they'll get bigger. That's the truth. But you go on and on and on and on and on and on. You forget that most people are not spiritual. And so they get put off. When they hear church, they say, oh gosh, that guy is going to keep me hungry again. Can I stay at home today? So we shouldn't let the things of God be despised. Amen. People, different people are different levels of spiritual growth. We have to be mindful of that. We have to be mindful of that. Amen. These are, look, they are, it's about the harvest. Why has Jesus not come? He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. That's why he hasn't come. And that's what this is all about. It's not just so that, you know, I'm the big man. I'm the anointed. No, you're not the big man. Jesus is the big man. Jesus is the issue. Jesus is the superstar. It's not for you. It's so that we can serve the people. And there's a heart that goes with it. Listen, you can carry God's power to degrees that are amazing. And you can still stay humble. You can carry God's power to degrees that are frightening. Frightening. And you don't have to have a card that prints, Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Pastor, Teacher is my calling. You know, when I come in, I have a friend, we're classmates. I called him one time. I said, oh, Reverend so-and-so. I shouldn't call him Reverend. He's my friend. I can call him first name. He said, point of correction. He said, I'm Bishop so-and-so. <laughs> well, I was kind enough. I continued talking with him. But I guess there are people who, when they want to pray, they'll go to God and say, God, you know, this is Reverend so-and-so. I've come to talk to you. My friend... You are not reverend before God. Amen. Don't let's get carried away with titles. Don't let's get carried away. What do we call Jesus? Apostle Jesus? Reverend Jesus? But someone now calls you your name and you want to cry? Amen. Now, should we give honor to whom it's due? Absolutely. Should we give, call people by whatever designation that is theirs? Absolutely. But we, ministers, shouldn't let those things get into our heads. We ought to stay humble before God. We ought to stay humble before God. All the time. All the time. Stay around your company. Stay around people that will contend for this same power. We'll lay hands shortly. And I'll tell you something. Certain things will be steered up inside people. You folks will be graduating today. Really, we call it commencement. Meaning beginning. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. We're launching you out. And I know the kind of reports we'll hear. We'll hear, well, I started 50 churches in such and such a place. Oh, I'll hear, well, I'm reaching out to this place. You know, I'll hear, well, I'm doing what the Lord called me to do. Those are the things we'll hear because we're persuaded of better things concerning you. 
Look, we know what substance you are taught. We have confidence in the seed that was planted. We have confidence in the training that was imparted. We have confidence in the grace that is on this ministry. There are other people that have graces and they are awesome. But there is a grace that is on this company. And we honor that grace. We honor that grace. And as you associate, as you stay in contact, stay in that environment, things rub off on you more. Are you listening to me? You get bolder to minister. Minister in the spirit. Amen. So things get imparted with the laying on of hands. A whole lot happens. A whole lot happens when hands get laid on people. Well, 1991, I'm fixing to quit now. 1991, April. April the 3rd of 1991 happens to have been a Wednesday. Now, I have one friend, David Magbadelo. I've lost contact with him. He's somewhere in the UK, the last I heard. I'm, I'm looking for him. I'm searching out for him. I haven't found him yet, but I will one day. Hopefully, he won't be in heaven. Amen. It will be before then. Now, um, we fellowshiped around the things of God a lot. When I see David, we just start talking Bible. We'll talk sometimes from morning to night. And then we'll sleep. And then we'll start the next morning. You know, we just enjoy the things of God. One of the things I'm noticing is that there's a generation that is now that they are not that way anymore. There's a generation that doesn't care so much about prayer. There's a generation that doesn't care so much about study. I have friends that will talk Bible all through the night. You know, this scripture says this, and then he'll come and say, no, that's not what that says. And then he'll say, okay, bring out your strongs. And then one will bring out the strongs, one will bring out the youngs. And then we'll just, over scriptures, good fellowship, good fellowship. Listen, we have to get back to those days. We have to get back to those days. Brother Hagin said one time he was praying and he said, Lord, we don't see the depth of the move of the spirit. That I don't see it. What I saw way back in the Fermersville church, in those churches in the 40s, in the late 30s. And then the Lord said to him, he said, and the consecration of my people was stronger then than it is now too. Perhaps that's a key. You see, we need to consecrate ourselves to these things. If I'm going to minister in the spirit, Look, when I go to preach, maybe I get invited. If I'm going to minister in some of these ways, I don't go, look, I came to preach. Sometimes they ask me, you want to sightsee? I didn't come to sightsee. After the meeting is over, I can sightsee. If I'm going to minister in the spirit, there are certain things I need to do. Listen, if the Holy Ghost is not moving and you still want to make something happen, you can get in the flesh. And if you stay long enough in the flesh, you can open the door to evil spirits. I've seen people do it. Occult powers, familiar spirits. If the Holy Ghost is not moving in gifts of the Spirit, then he's not moving that way. If he's just moving for you to preach the word, preach it and go. But if you're going to minister in the Spirit as the Spirit of God wills, we need to take time out. Pray in the Spirit. Wait on the Lord. Sometimes with a little fasting. See, that word is not a cost word. Neither is it a sin. Just to wait on him. Just a little bit. I don't mean fast 50 years or fast 50 days. Sometimes just a meal or two. And just stay in his presence. Pray in the spirit. Brother Higgins said he found that the more he prayed and worshipped God in tongues, the greater the manifestation of other gifts of the spirit he saw. Well, that particular day, April the 3rd, 91, David came to see me. I was in C47, Melanby Hall. And then we fellowshiped. And then when we finished talking, I was walking, to, walking him down. He was staying in, in Agbowo. We got by a bowl shopping complex. And then all of a sudden, I said, look, David, I've got to pray. And I've got to pray now. 
I don't know what it is, but I just have to pray now. I just have to pray now. I don't know. Well, he was the kind of person that could say that in his presence and he wouldn't freak out. He knew because he understood about the things of the Spirit. We found a place secluded. Then we held hands. And then we started to pray in the Spirit. Like five, seven minutes into the prayer, I had a strange experience. I saw Jesus kind of like where Pastor Lou is seated. That was where he was from me. When I saw him, I opened my eyes. I didn't see him anymore. I shut my eyes. He was still there. Now, the first thing that got my attention were the holes in his hands. I could see through them. I saw those holes. Amen. The next thing that got my attention were his eyes. There was something about his eyes that I don't know how to explain. They just seemed like they were transparent. And then, in that vision, now there was a question, a Bible question I'd heard, that I'd had prior to that experience, that I was seeking for the answer about. The first thing, because that was what was topmost in my heart. He answered me. He said, this is this. He showed me in scripture. He clarified me. Then he said something to me about Kenneth Hagin Ministries and about following that ministry closely, just like I had sensed. Amen. Now, I've, had, I've been called all sorts of names for it, but you see, it doesn't bother me because I won't stand before their judgment seat. I'll stand before the judgment seat of Jesus. I had a witness to do something. I followed the witness. And then what made Jesus show up to me in person? And tell me just the same thing. There must have been a reason. Many times God talks to us spectacularly about certain things. Because there could be rough sailing ahead. And he wants us to stay steady. Regardless. Amen. And then there are some other things he told me would happen. Some of which have happened. Many of which have happened. Well, 92. 92 June the 1st was a Monday. About 11.30 in the morning. I was reading how to be led by the Spirit of God. I don't know for the opting's time. All of a sudden, I looked out the window. When I did, with my eyes wide open, I saw him again. He was downstairs in the house. I don't know why it was like that this time, but that's how it was. He came in through the gate of the house where I stayed. He came in through the garage. He came upstairs where I was. And then he beckoned on me. And then he said, let us go up at once. Now, I had a sensation of being cut away. Suddenly, I was before God's throne. We were tilted at an angle before that throne. He laid his right hand on my head. And then he said to me, now I know it was his right hand because I was there. I saw it. Amen. I could see the hole yet in that hand. He put it on my head as I knelt. Then he said to me, he said, I've called you specially and anointed you specially to do what I've called you to do. Now I want you to go in the strength of that call. Now he said some other things. And then there were some things I saw there, some of which... I haven't been able to say them. Of course, it's not everything you see you should say. Some things, once you start talking about them, you get into trouble. Amen. But you see, I said all that just to say this. There's a supernatural ministry. There's a supernatural ministry. That's what you're a partaker of. You saw how by associating with that ministry, by following that ministry, you saw how something rubbed off on me from listening to the tapes, from reading the books, from following closely. Listen, you have to stay closely hooked up for those things to rub off. And then you also have to stay. You see, the river that forgets its source is the one that runs dry. Once you know your company, don't run from your company. We're going to have uh, a kickoff later in the year. Don't say, well, now I have my certificate. I don't have to go. I don't have to go. Listen, you need to keep coming back. Things get added, and things get added, and God uses relationships. Remember where I started from? 
what was said to me. Here's Pastor Matt today. Of course, that was in my destiny all along. That was the plan of God for me. But he was the one God used. Just imagine the heart that he has. Him and his wife. Imagine just about the time when Raymond Nigeria has gotten to the place where, yeah, we are now getting there. Where things begin. Where we're just getting to the place where everybody wants any ministry to be in. Because his heart is not for himself. He's not looking at what is in it for me. He's not looking at putting something to himself, just like he did in Manchester. Amen. So there are going to be divine relationships. There are going to be divine associations. Imagine if when I met him, I didn't hook up with him. Will I be doing what I'm doing today? Imagine the things God told me. You know, they didn't happen on their own. God walks through men. And that's why relationships are important. I don't care how anointed you are. I don't care the fire you carry on your head. There are people God will use to set you in place. Look at Jesus. Look at John the Baptist. Even though he was, when they asked him, by what authority do you, do you do what you do? It said, John's baptism, was it of man or of God? Why? Because in a sense, John ordained him. John was the one that provided the platform for him. That still happens in the body of Christ. Rhema is here to equip you and to also help give you a platform. Amen. For you to do whatever God has called you to do. Well, with every head bowed and eye closed, praise the Lord. Maybe you're here, you sense in your heart. You know that the Lord has called you to the ministry. I seem to feel impressed that we ought to lay hands on those ones who are in this service. Not everybody is here. I just seem to feel impressed we should lay hands on those ones who are here. You sense a call to ministry, pulpit ministry particularly. It could be you're an associate or it could be you're a senior minister, but pulpit ministry. Amen. That the same grace that's on this ministry, the same mandate, the same power, amen, that those things will flow through you and that you will be equipped to stand in whatever office God has called you to do. If you feel that kind of category, could you just stand up to your feet, amen. Now, if you're not, don't come out. Don't come out. It will grieve the Holy Ghost. Sense a call to pulpit ministry. Just come forward. Just come forward. Amen. Hands will be laid on you. And something will stir up inside you from today. Things that have been dormant. Some things that may have even been active. Where there has been one, there will begin to be two. Where there has been two, there will be five. Amen. There will be a multiplicity. There will be an increase. Because something is being added to you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now the ushers could help us like this. Let's have one single file. And um, folks who don't fit in, you could just stay in the aisle. We'll reach everybody. No problem. We're doing everything decently and in order. Just one single file. Amen. And the folks that don't fit in, they could just stay in the aisle. Once the first guys are done, then we'll get to the others. Praise the Lord. And why don't you just lift up your hand towards heaven and make a consecration. Make a dedication. Lord, I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. I'm going to stand in what, whatever you've called me onto. I'm going to be faithful where I am now. And I trust you to bring further light, further guidance. Praise God, my way. I'll obey you. Just make a consecration. Make a dedication. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray for these ones. Thank you because of your grace 
of your hand. Thank you for the world that needs to be reached. Thank you for the lost that need to be saved. Thank you because there's a stirring in the hearts of these ones in our hearts to go out and reach out to the lost. To go out and get the believers edified so they can do the work of the ministry. These ones are called to do different things. Whatever it is you've called each and every one of them to do. Thank you for the equipping that they need to do those things. Thank you because things are imparted into their lives in the name of Jesus. Amen.